Welcome to the Cattle Call podcast. We are starting another career call, and this month we have the pleasure to have here Matthew Shapiro. Matthew is a livestock and range advisor at Ventura in Santa Barbara counties. So before we got to to call Matthew, let's let's go ahead and call Brooke Latek to join our call. Hello, Brooke. Hi, Pedro. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining the call uh, today. And let's go ahead and call Matthew as well. Hi, Matthew. Hello, Pedro. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Is it a good time for a call? It's always a great time for a cattle call. Perfect. Perfect. That's how, how we like. We like to see people excited about this. So Nice. <laughs> so, Matthew, let's, let's go ahead and get started. I will ask you couple of questions that you cannot miss these first questions. And then after that, we can talk about anything. So first question that I would like to, to ask is, where are you from and what do you do? Sure. So answering the first one first, I am from California. I'm actually from Santa Barbara, which is uh, the city uh, that is in Santa Barbara County. Um, although I have to say it's kind of a, it's a funny feeling because this Growing up in Santa Barbara, I didn't really grow up in agriculture. So even though I'm back in the county that I grew up in, uh, it feels like I'm in a different place in a strange way. So from Santa Barbara County, uh, currently work in Santa Barbara County and Ventura County. On my mother's side, I'm a sixth generation Californian, so have uh, deep roots in the state. That's good. So, and your job is, what do you do on a daily basis? Can you just like your uh, livestock and range advisor... So you work in Santa Barbara and Ventura County. So what do you usually do on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, one of the best parts, I think, of these cooperative extension jobs is that they're incredibly varied, right? And mm -hmm. every day is different. So as you, as you noted, I'm the livestock and range advisor with cooperative extension, which means that I work on rangelands um, in the two counties. Uh, work with livestock producers predominantly, although that also includes... Um, other landowners of rangeland and other agencies or nonprofits or government, um, you know, government organizations that manage rangeland. And, you know, our, our jobs are sort of twofold to both conduct research that's relevant to our clientele, but then also to sort of extend uh, research that we've ourselves conducted or other research across the state or the country that's relevant against our clientele. And so, you know, that means that, you know, I'm half to 75% of the time I'm in the office, you know, coordinating, uh, coordinating research, answering clientele phone calls, um, you know, serving on in various capacities with the university. But I do get a significant amount of time uh, out in the field, which is nice. And certainly that's kind of more seasonal. Um, so, you know, have big sort of push field, field work pushes in the fall and spring, which are typical seasons for field work uh, in the range discipline. But um, you know, get to pursue a lot of different, um, a lot of different threads, a lot of different interests. You know, whether that's livestock health, livestock production, range health. Um, you know, we'll talk. I think a little bit later about prescribed fire and wildfire. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's uh, every day is different. Yes. Oh, that sounds like an exciting job. And we we just hear you. You mentioned that you grew up in Santa Barbara, and now you're working it there as well. So I like always to ask you, and you didn't grow up in a, with an agriculture background. So when you when you're deciding to go in the job that you have today, why why did you decide to work with livestock, or 
How was that decision? Where did you go to school? Can you share more about that that path? What you what did you do? Yeah, absolutely. So even though I sort of landed back more or less in the same place where I grew up, uh, took a pretty circuitous path in between. Um, I got initially exposed to and interested in agriculture in probably one of the strangest places on earth for that to happen, <laughs> which is New York City. Wow. Uh, I was uh, an undergraduate at Columbia University in Manhattan. And towards the end of my time as an undergraduate, uh, became interested in food systems and, and food production, farming on the East Coast. And there's a very uh, robust and vibrant sort of small farm movement, movement in the Northeast. Um, and uh, I was graduating, I was pre-med actually, and graduating uh, in 2008, uh, December 2008, right in the middle of the financial crisis. And I had a job all lined up to work on an ambulance as an EMT for uh, FDNY, Fire Department New York. Um, and they froze hiring because of the financial crisis. And I uh, decided that that would be just as well that I was more interested in agriculture anyway. So I went out and worked on a farm and sort of fast forward a little bit. I ended up returning to uh, Northern Cal to California, but to Northern California, uh, tried to start a couple of small farm and ranch businesses running livestock and growing um, some specialty crops and uh, kind of came to extension um, from the perspective of, of a producer. I was really affected by and benefited a lot from working with the livestock and range advisor up in Nevada County, Roger Ingram, um, who's recently retired. And uh, I, I think I, I, I experienced firsthand the power of extension and how important it can be in supporting agricultural production and 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 in providing information to what what I was which was a fledgling upstart agricultural operator um, so anyways partly inspired by working with Roger I ended up returning to uh, get my range uh, science degree at UC Berkeley and a couple of years after getting that degree uh, this job came up and uh, have been an extension for the last four years. That's an amazing thing. I, I always like this, this type of podcast because I didn't know about your pre-med history and I would yeah. have no clue that you had that in your background. That's, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. And how, I mean, you already mentioned, like you you started working as a, as a producer and, but why why agriculture? Like you were going to an ambulance and you had, I mean, of course, a lot of things happened. We were in a crisis, but you had any other thought about like any other option? You were, how was that decision? That's pretty, pretty cool. I, I, I really, can you tell us more about that and that, that period of your life? How, how did that came up? It's, it's nice. It's nice to hear that. Yeah. You know, I think my story is not dissimilar to, uh, um, a, you know, to a, a generation story i mean i think you know there's i think there's maybe been a renaissance of of inter or a, a sort of a reblossoming of interest in agriculture in a particular way which is you know thinking about how our food and the things that we can we consume can be you know more sustainably or more thoughtfully produced and certainly that was kind of where i was coming from originally i, I don't know what it was mm -hmm. um you know about the particular time in my life that um thinking about agriculture and wanting to be involved in agriculture really resonated, I think, with sort of my values, with my general um, 
interest in wanting to understand um, how the things that I consumed worked and how they were produced. And, um, you know, I mean, the, there's like, you know, I think there's always been you know, for a long, you know, many generations, there's been a romance around agriculture, sort of the yeoman farmer, you know, toiling individually out on his or her plot of land. And, and as part of, and in some ways, it's sort of part of the American vision or, you know, manifest destiny and sort of, um, yeah, so I, I think it's like deeply embedded in almost the American psyche. I think since then, I've, you know, I've been disabused of a lot of mm-hmm. those kind of romantic notions and visions and understand that it's, you know, a complex, uh, you know, complicated, expensive, um, and difficult, you know, endeavor. And I, you know, I, I, I attempted to be a farmer rancher myself. And at the end of the day, sort of couldn't put together a, a via economically viable business. And so, um, you know, I think it's now it's interesting being in the position that I'm in to, uh, be able to sort through some of those complexities and sort of straddle the worlds of the sort of idealistic notions of how agriculture can save the planet, but then also, um, you know, the real nuts and bolts of what it takes to run an operation. So it's been, yeah, it's yeah. been a real sort of transition and, and odyssey in the way that I've sort of related to agriculture and how the way that I think about it today. That's that's amazing. I, I, I like that. It probably gives you a really nice side of view that a lot of people don't have, having all of this experience pre-agriculture, then being a farmer, understanding their struggles, and now working in, in helping those uh, those farmers and the public itself to understand that better. That's pretty cool. And yeah, you, you already mentioned about your, your work, a little bit what you do. Can you tell us, let, let's say, what is your favorite thing to do on a daily basis? What is the favorite thing that you have in your job today? And maybe even uh, your least favorite thing that you have to do on, on a daily basis? Yeah, good questions. I, you know, I, I'm reminded or I think back often on uh, when I first found out that I, you know, had gotten this job and was in the process of accepting the position. And I reached out to my major professor, uh, Jamie Bartolome, who's a sort of long-standing range professor at UC Berkeley. And he congratulated me and he congratulated me specifically about, you know, and really emphasized this notion of uh, service, you know, that um, mm-hmm. what cooperative extension is fundamentally is a way to serve the public serve our clientele, you know, be of service to other other Californians. And I think not to be too general, but I think, you know, the parts of my day that I like the most are when it feels like, you know, I'm really helping people. And sometimes that's fewer and farther between. I mean, it's, I, I do question, you know, like I said, ranching and agriculture is really hard. It's really complex. You know, there's a lot of pieces that go into what it takes to run a you know, productive and profitable farmer ranch. And I'm not sure all the time how like my research on this one really sort of nerdy topic is ultimately like really going to fundamentally change an individual's operation. But there are moments, you know, throughout my days and weeks when I, I either get feedback or can sort of sense that, you know, either the information or the, um, the work that I do on behalf of the clientele, like really meaningfully impacts them and that they, you know, I got a call from a rancher who's a friend and a, and a, and a client, so to speak, but a colleague. And, um, he, you know, we, we 
talk all the time about, you know, we work together a lot on prescribed fire and, and he helps me with some of my range monitoring work. And he just called the other day out of the blue, just kind of thanking me for, you know, all that I do for the community. And it was just, a, awesome. it was an unexpected um, recognition, but also just kind of nice to be reminded that at the end of the day, you know, we do, we do in, in our own little way, you know, impact people's lives. So yeah, I hope that yeah. wasn't too general of an answer, but certainly no, that's the part that I enjoy the most. It's probably that this positive feedback that we get from the community is yeah, it's it's always it's always good. Is there anything that you you wish you would do differently that you don't love to do? Maybe I don't I don't have an idea like like fighting with with fire sometimes or see some bad things. Is there anything that you you wish would be differently or actually not 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 really? I mean, I think that. Um, One of the challenges of our system is that as, um, you know, public funding diminishes, you know, the us advisors are expected to cover more and more ground. And while I love serving the two counties I do, it's, it's a lot of moving around, mm -hmm. you know, and it's big, big distances. You know, there's a couple of major cities um, in my counties that sort of are in between where all the ranching and, and rangeland production happens. So, you know, it's getting caught in traffic and, you know, just being in the truck a lot, but I can't complain and I get probably more work done in the truck than I should. <laughs> um, but, uh, I often get a call from a colleague who every time I pick up, he says, now are you a good, being a good range advisor and you're on the road somewhere? And I say, sure enough, Jeremy, I am. So, <laughs> That, that's really good. One thing that you, you've mentioned a couple of times uh, during this call is you, it looks like your mentors had a really good impact in your career. And I always like to, to ask people to share with us what is the role that their mentors had on their careers and how important for that. We, we got uh, people listening to us that are still as an undergrad or even grad school. And I always like to advise them to, to find a mentor, find some person who can guide you throughout your career. Can you share us how important was that for you? And if you have any tips and advice in finding good mentors? Yeah. Thank you, Pedro. I mean, it's interesting to get that insight from you because I think sometimes I don't necessarily stop and consider the mentors and, and uh, advisors that I have had in my life. And Uh, I don't know that I'm the sort of person who proactively seeks um, advice and mentorship. It's just kind of my personality. But I, I do have to say, I think you're right. I mean, I think that um, in my sort of range career and profession, professional life, I have, whether I liked it or not, had a lot <laughs> of folks who have um, stepped up to sort of be a part of my career, to give me advice and to support me and um Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I'm the best to sort of give advice about how to seek mentors because, mm -hmm. like I said, I don't know that I'm very good at it. I mean, one thing I can say is, and this is maybe unique to the range world, but in California, it's a fairly small discipline. I mean, there's not a lot of us who are professionally engaged in thinking on rangelands. And so, you know, it's a, it's a tight-knit community. I think people care about one another. I think that people, especially people, you know, um, the older generation really mm -hmm. wants to support the younger one and sort of coming up. And um, I think unexpectedly, there's actually a lot of career opportunity in the range discipline. Um, you know, there's a lot of agency jobs, federal jobs, land managing jobs. 
Um, and especially in California, as more and more land is sort of moving from private ownership to maybe like nonprofit ownership through uh, land trusts or sort of special districts that are administered by counties, there's increasingly a need for well-qualified and well-trained individuals to, um, to manage that land or to at least act as a sort of conduit between the agency and the people and the sort of ranchers or livestock producers who are managing the land. So anyways, I'll just, all that to say that I think there's a lot of opportunity for young mm -hmm. people, you know, who are potentially interested in land or natural resource management. And, um, and there are, you know, really incredible uh, elders and advisors and mentors who are still interested in, in supporting that. And I think that, you know, that that happens through the university systems. I mean, Humboldt State and, and Davis and Berkeley and Cal Poly and San Luis Obispo, um, I hope I'm not forgetting one, are sort of the, you know, all have range academics, um, teachers, coursework. And so there are people who are there and so who are like naturally inclined to want to work with students and support young people. So there's a lot of opportunity in the discipline for that. I, I agree. I mean, I like that you mentioned our community is, is not that, that big and, and there are always people willing to help. We, mm -hmm. People that have been in the field that will be want younger people like us to be, to be successful. That's, that's pretty, pretty good. Can you tell us also how, how is your interaction with, with producers? Uh, would they, you mentioned a little bit, but would they call you? How, how does that work? You said you, you, you spend a lot of time in the phone, but what is your job? Like often like a producer calls you with a question, you try to answer them. Can you give us an example uh, of that as well? How much you interact with producers? We will have, Uh, one call is specifically to talk about one research, some of your research, but how is your interaction with producers and maybe cattle producers more specifically? Yeah, I mean, I have to smile and laugh a little bit. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, the premise of these jobs are a little bit funny, especially when young people sort of get moved into a region, maybe one that they didn't grow up in and don't necessarily have local expertise about. You know, I'm, I, I, you know, these, I'm technically supposed to be some sort of expert and, you know, sort of advise producers and clientele about what to do. And um, I find that more often than not, they have more to teach me than I them. Um, and then the irony of it is that by the time I finally really maybe am an expert and have been in the community long enough to know how things work and to uh, understand what people need, it's, you know, I'm basically at the end, end of my career kind of a thing. So I think they're, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think mm -hmm. that there is a sort of natural flow to the way that these jobs work. I think, um, you know, one of the ways that I've found being the most effective is kind of parsing or making sense of what producers need mm -hmm. and then working on their behalf to get them the resources or the information or the attention that they wouldn't sort of otherwise be able to Uh, achieve or access on their own. So, you know, I mean, sometimes I get calls with specific questions about, you know, how a particular grass works or what to seed with or what else. I mean, I mean even, you know, sort of cattle disease sometime. And, you know, I'm, I'm first to admit I'm no veterinarian. So, I mean, the, what I end up doing a lot of the time is sort of leaning, uh, you know, I know how to 
I mean, everyone knows how to do an internet search now, but I, I do, I feel, have, you know, a better sense of the resources to lean on. And so I'm able to kind of like gather and collate information and present it in a more digestible way to a producer. I also find, you know, that one of this, one of my strengths or one of the things that I think that this position has the potential to be strong in is sort of working on behalf of producers to be able to achieve policy or affect change in that respect. So, you know, one program that we're in the midst of just kind of rolling out is what we're calling the Ag Pass, which is a little bit related to fire, but more specifically wildfire. But, um, you know, I think it's a really good example. Um, There was kind of a program in Ventura County that allowed agriculturalists access behind road closures during disasters, typically fire that they could care for livestock or irrigate crops. And the program was marginally successful in Ventura County. It had been around a long time. Um, But, you know, what I was able to do was identify that this was a need that, you know, benefited my clientele and livestock producers, um, really work behind the scenes at the county level to try to get that program reinvigorated. I then also sort of Um, took the program concept, not that they hadn't heard of it before, but provided a little bit more energy to the process in Santa Barbara County. And so now, you know, next week we have our third and probably final training of this season, and we're handing out AgPass ID cards to producers in Santa Barbara County. And, you know, hopefully they won't ever need to use them, right? But (laughs) If and when wildfire does impact their ranch or roads or, or highways are closed around, you know, where they need to gain access to take care of livestock, you know, that's a very ta- literally tangible, you know, card that's, a fun- that's really a, um, an outcome of not my effort exclusively at all, but, you know, certainly effort that I put in supported by many others. But, you know, it's, a, it's a, I think, a concrete example of the way that cooperative extension can kind of like lubricate um, uh, action, you know, that that's pretty good, Matthew. So now that we, we know uh, a lot about your career, the things that you do on a daily basis, we, we want to ask a couple of questions. So our, our listeners get to know more about you and, and you as a person as well. So the first, the first question that I, that I would like to ask is what is, what is your favorite food? Mm. Uh, my favorite food. I have been hooked on a fried chicken sandwich that uh, they're serving at a new restaurant in Lompoc, which is not far from where I live in Santa Barbara County. Now, I will say, since I work predominantly with small ruminants or with ruminants, sorry, uh, that I don't always, I don't typically eat chicken. I'm more of a, you know, I like to stick with the ruminants, but there's something that's just irresistible about this fried chicken sandwich. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, my. My region in Brazil, we have a lot of cattle, but it's really famous for for their chicken and and. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So sometimes I when I choose the non-ruminant food, people get get mad, but I like <laughs> them as well. Right. Right. So what is what is the type of song that usually plays in your radio or, or in your phone? What you said you travel a lot. Is there anything that you like to listen, or maybe a podcast as well, or audiobooks? But is there a, your a favorite type of song that you like to listen? My favorite type of song is a song that keeps me awake because <laughs> with the amount that I do drive and the hours that I drive, I frequently feel a little bit, uh, little bit sleepy at times. So I, uh, I, I like to listen to stuff I can sing along to and preferably loudly. Good, 
that's good. That's important to to keep awake while you're driving. That's that's yeah, really exactly. important. <laughs> right. So that's that's pretty good, Matthew. Uh, so one one other thing that I like to ask: what is what is something that you know today that you would like to know maybe five or ten years ago that you would like to go back to yourself and and say, hey, that's important to know. Is there something that you would that you know today that you would like to know while you were starting or finishing school? Yeah, I, you know, this is maybe a little bit career specific, but um, it can be personal if you want to as well. It's up to you. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is just to take it slow. You know, I uh, I remember my first week or my first month in this in this job and kind of sitting in my office chair and twiddling my thumbs and waiting for some paperwork to come back from UC Davis and feeling like I didn't have enough going on and telling a few colleagues that, and I'm saying, well, just you wait. And sure mm -hmm. enough, I've waited now and I've got way too much going on. And I, I don't know if it's specific to an academic career or, uh, or all professional work, but, um, you know, I think I need to, to learn to, to, really be strategic about what I say yes to and feel more comfortable about saying no to things and not trying to bite off too much because certainly it begins to feel like you're not doing much of anything very well when you got too much on your plate. So I think, yeah, take it slow, which is maybe good life advice generally. It's, it's important. And I will tell you, you're not the first one to say that in, in yeah. our calls. <laughs> yeah. so that's pretty important. So that that's awesome, Matthew. Those are, are really, really good advice, I would say. And but thank you very much. Thank you for, for being in our call today. To to finish up, we have our I I call that the kettle call top tip, where I ask our guests to share something that they they have read, they have watched, or they have listened recently that they would like to leave our listeners as, as a tip. Do you have anything that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, you know, Pedro, the first thing that comes to mind is a DVD that I recently <laughs> purchased. Um, and I know folks aren't buying DVDs probably all that much now that our world has moved almost entirely to streaming. But this is a documentary that I think uh, the reason I bought the DVD is it's not available on streaming. And it's a movie I saw over a decade ago Uh, when I was first getting interested in agriculture, and it's called Sweetgrass. It was uh, made, I think, produced by PBS, made by two documentarian filmmakers, and it, it catalogs a sheep drive up in the mountains of, I think, Montana. And uh, it's distinct. It's just really beautiful. It's distinctive because it's it's just all kind of ambient scenes. There's no story. Um, there's it's just sort of ambient noise. And it, if nothing else, it's just kind of, it makes you appreciate the beauty of the landscapes that I work on, we work on. And uh, for anyone who, yeah, who likes livestock, who likes rangelands, it's a, it's a really pleasant and, and beautiful film to watch. So uh, that's, that's my, my, I actually haven't watched it yet because <laughs> I can't find a DVD player of all wow. things. So <laughs> trying to track that down to be able to watch this film that I saw a little while ago. So if for those who are still buying DVDs or who have DVD players in their homes, that's, that's my recommendation. Pretty cool. We, we will make sure to, to put the information of, of that uh, in the description of, of this episode. So Perfect. that uh, last, but, but not least, how can, can our listeners follow your work? Do you have any social media blog or website or something that you'd like to share? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. I do do Facebook and Instagram uh, through work, and my um, the name of that is Livestock and Range, all one word. And uh, probably most active on Instagram, try to just kind of share uh, research and images from my days. Um, and then, of course, uh, for those who are interested in my phone number or email, I can be reached on either the Cooperative Extension websites in Ventura County or Santa Barbara County. Perfect. Can you repeat the, the name of the Instagram again? Livestock and Range, all Perfect. one word. Perfect. We'll make sure to put that in the description as well. Great. So. That's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for being in this call today. I really, really appreciate it. You have any, any comments, Brooke? Any final questions? Nope, nothing from me. Okay. Thank you very much, Matthew. Do you have any, any final message that you would like to share? No, just uh, thank you for thinking of me. Nice to chat with you, Pedro and, and Brooke, and uh, look forward to our next talk. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you very much to all of our listeners. Uh, if you want to send any questions, anything, please send an email to the kettlecallucd at gmail.com to subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, just follow the link below the description in this episode. And don't forget, it's always a good time for a kettle call. The coyotes are howling, we out for the doggies Where spurs are a-jingling, a cowboy is singing this lonesome kettle call.